0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My
1: name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode five of this season five, five and five. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about something that I think is the biggest obstacle to slow living mm. and something that a lot of people talk about as the thing that gets in the way the most, that's yeah. ever present, but is always, always there, always annoying, always getting in the way. And is almost anti-slow living. Okay. Let me ask that question when we get into the uh, episode proper. But, of course, we're talking about technology.
0: Mm-hmm, we are.
1: What do you think about technology? We wouldn't be here without technology.
0: Yeah, I, I have a hard time rubbishing technology given the... <laughs> <laughs>
1: How ironic. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast exactly. if it wasn't for technology. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, and you know, the... Life expectancy and the medical breakthroughs, I mean, vaccines and like everything. Everything that we are able to do more of or better is in some way reliant upon technological advances.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so tech is a very broad term. It can include all of those things, all innovation, all progress. And then you've also got like connection technology. Smartphones, computers, emails, social media, that sort of stuff. And I feel like when people are asking the question, they're not actually talking about all technology. Like, should we go back to the dark ages? I don't know anyone who truly thinks that that's a good idea. I think they're really referring to the stranglehold that connection tech has on modern life.
1: Okay, well, let's really just only talk about connect tech.
0: Connect, connect tech. <laughs> Coined a new phrase.
1: Trademarked and copyrighted. So, We've spoken about this quite a lot, actually. Like it's a recurring topic, but we thought we would like jump in and and really get into it for yeah. the, for this episode. Let's do it. So let's talk about the elephant in the room: technology. And I, this is the question I asked you at the top of the show: Is slow living anti-tech?
0: No. In a word, it's not. And like, like I said in the introduction, I think anti-tech would be anti-all progress. And when you look at the world that we live in now, the challenges that face us with the climate crisis, with you know, huge obstacles to humanity moving forward in a positive way, technology to a certain degree is going to help us move forward. And I am 100% behind that. Mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm behind innovation. But... Slow living, I think, well, at least from my perspective, is anti-mindless tech. Okay. So if, again, we narrow our focus down to connect tech, even that has purpose. I mean, and it has benefits. You
1: know, the best thing about connect tech, we can still get in contact with friends in Canada. Yeah. Friends, you know, and that's essentially what social media was invented for.
0: That's what it was meant to do. To yeah. Do. It's become yeah. this other thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So if, I'm not even against connect tech. I'm I love that you're using that term now see it's the shortest bumper sticker you've ever you've ever come up with stop I I'm just I I really think the philosophy of slow living is is all about mindfulness and intention Mm -hmm. so that's the line that I draw
1: anti-mindless tech exactly okay so how do you make it work for you um connect tech in a way that feels slow so what's the practicalities of connect tech for you
0: I think the underlying theme, the whole thread of combining slow living and technology really is learning how to be intentional with it. I think that we need to view tech as a tool rather than as a way of life, Mm -hmm. which is hard to do when everything is connected to it. We're having this conversation with your family on the weekend. If you don't have a mobile phone, you're at a distinct disadvantage in our society because so many things that you need to sign up for, banking, paying bills, all of that sort of stuff is now, for the most part, tied to having a smartphone.
1: My dad is 70 and he got his first mobile phone this year.
0: Yeah. And that was partly because he simply couldn't continue doing the things that he needed to do, like life admin and work.
1: Society was against him.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like he held held out out for so long. Maybe he held out for the, you know, for things to write in his favour. But yeah. You know, so so I think it's really difficult to remove um, that mindset of, of a technological life. But I like to view tech as a tool that you pick up to do a specific job, whatever that may be, and then you put it down and go do something else. And that helps me a lot in managing and balancing. You know, because I, I do work online, I do work remotely, I do use a lot of technology in in the work that I do. So viewing it as, like, a wrench or a hammer or a pen or a knife, do the thing that I need to do and then put it down.
1: Instead of a black hole. Exactly.
0: and, And that's the other thing. The time suck of it. What I really like to do to remind myself when I feel like I have gotten sucked in, when I have, you know, hit that scrolling, mindless kind of headspace, is to remind myself, and I do this a lot, that it is not just my willpower failing, Against this piece of technology that has no agenda. It is backed it by an entire agenda. industry. <laughs> scientists. What well, with scientists, yeah, yeah, psychologists, developers, yeah. really yeah. smart people mm. who are designing systems that get us hooked. And so it's not just me versus a phone. It's me and my willpower, which gets overwhelmed time and time again, versus an entire industry. Billions of dollars of investment. Exactly, which actually makes me feel two things. It makes me feel better for not being just a failure of, you know, this person who talks about slow living and still manages to get caught in the scroll trap, but it also makes me kind of pissed off and I use that fire in my belly to really shift my perspective and say not out loud but kind of say you don't get my time this is my time this is my life the way I want to spend it looks like this and because of the work that you're doing to kind of distract me to cajole me to convince me is making me live my life in a way that isn't aligned yeah. with what I want yeah and I use that as motivation to maybe step up my behavior change or to, to bring in a new kind of tool or boundary. So
1: let's talk about those behaviors because Mm -hmm. that's almost the next step. So you're, it's you against billion dollars worth of industry. You know, do you have a particular mindset when it comes to when you, when your eyes are on technology, Mm. what's your, what's your mindset like, you know, what, what do you got to do? What do you got to sort of be aware of before you actually jump in?
0: Boundaries, honestly, having boundaries and it takes time to set up boundaries that work for you but having boundaries in place allows you to set them and then operate within them for the most part without having to constantly remind yourself or berate yourself of them so the boundaries by boundaries I guess I mean it could be a time boundary or it could be a physical boundary with technology
1: so what are some time boundaries that you've adopted
0: these are the okay. Let me give you a list of boundaries that I have played with and used over the years. I don't use them all at the same time, but things like time this, boundaries. This like, segment
1: is Brooke's Boundaries, brought to you by Connect Tech. The iPhone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like Connect Tech. Connect tech. Uh, so, Connect tech. So, one of the time boundaries that I have used a variation on for years is no tech before a certain time or no tech after a certain time. So when the kids were a little bit younger and I was not able to work in the mornings, I would have a no tech before school drop-off boundary and that worked really well actually. It mm-hmm. allowed me to get up, get the kids sorted for school, lunches packed, all that sort of stuff, get my head right for the day and if I was lucky that maybe would include some meditation or yoga or something like that. But to get my head right for the day and then come home and recognise that that's when my workday started, yeah. yeah, that helped enormously. Mm-hmm. Uh, And even now when I'm getting up quite a lot earlier, yes, technically I'm getting up to an alarm, which is technology. But the first thing I do when I get up is put on an app that locks my phone down. So I can't be kind of dragged into checking the email or checking the news headlines before I sit down and work. That works really well. Uh, You know, similarly, we have a I mean, I guess it's not really a hard and fast rule, but we tend to not use our phones at all in the evening once work kind of settles down, particularly yeah. for you. yeah. I've got a do not disturb that comes on at 9pm and doesn't come back off until 7am, I think. So even if I get phone calls or messages, I don't know about it. That's a really nice thing to have. It's like
1: in technology, there's these built in self-sabotage things that... The technology has, like the do not disturb.
0: Yeah, so you, you can actually I mean, use like, tech to your advantage.
1: You can you can self sabotage that, Well, you can device. sabotage the tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are that's you, what I
0: meant sabotage. Yeah, I use an iPhone and. It's an old iPhone, but I think it's probably the same for the newer models. You can set up these bedtimes hmm. and the do not disturb times and you can set up. Um...
1: And they can, you can tweak them all the time. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. You can set up screen limits. Yep. You can set up social media limits. You can set up particular time limits for a certain website. Like if you're addicted to checking newspaper headlines or whatever yeah. it may be, you can set yourself a 30 minute limit for the day. So you're right, that's using tech against itself almost. <laughs> but then you've got physical boundaries as well. And I, I actually think that these have probably been even more effective for us. We started years ago with an experiment on no screens in the bedroom. And that has just stuck for years to the point where I won't even have my phone inside the bedroom walls as an, like set up as an alarm. I will have it sitting out outside our door does two things. First of all, it doesn't break the rule of no tech in the bedroom, but it also forces me up and out. And by the time I'm up and I'm out and I've turned off my alarm, I don't get back in bed. So physical boundaries like that work. Um, Same with no phones, at the dining table, Um, you know, if the kids walk in, this is something I've always been, I've always tried to be mindful of because I remember um, my dad doing the same thing. He was the first person I ever knew who got a mobile phone way back in the day. Anytime, unless he was on a call, any time that I came into the room, he would put it away, mm. like out of sight, Yeah, which just told me that that's what you do. We don't have conversations when a screen is present. And I try and do the same thing with the kids, whether I'm working or procrastinating, I just put it down so they recognize that that is like a limit, a boundary that our family has.
1: And your dad does that a lot, actually. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a phone, it could be any, he's eating or anything. He's always giving that... 100% focus yeah. and attention on something.
0: Which I feel really, I mean, I feel it's grateful. It's a great trait. It is. Yeah. I, I feel grateful that that was sort of the the technology role model I grew up with yeah. and my mum was even better because she didn't adopt tech for a long time so I didn't have that, you know, that, yeah. that all-pervasive tech kind of presence in my, in my house growing up and I'd like that to continue for our kids.
1: Regardless of whether they're physical or time mm. boundaries, are there any other tools that you use? in regards to your tech management?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess outside of boundaries, I've probably got a few other strategies that I've played with. And same thing, I rotate through these as I feel like I need them. And you know that feeling if you know you've been spending too much time. You do, though, when you know you've been spending too much time on a game, for example, or a website or an app, you know, you get that sense of... Frustration oh or annoyance. You, you
1: always know if I've downloaded a new app on my phone.
0: Yeah, how do I know that?
1: Because I'm on it. I'll, I'll, well, no. I, I'm on it a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I hate that feeling of being sucked into something.
0: And I realised that for you, that was actually the um, that was the motivator that I could use to help you change your behaviour was yeah. to highlight the fact that you'd been sucked in to something. And you didn't want to be sucked into things. You don't like feeling like a sucker. Mm. So allowing you to reflect on that does help. I try not to do it like a smart aleck.
1: No, you don't. But it it does come across as smart aleck. You just can't help it. Um (laughs) What can I say? It's a gift. But you know what? Those apps that they start off really fun, and you're like, "Oh,
0: this is great." You mean games and stuff?
1: Yeah, games yeah. on your phone. But it could be anything, like anything like new mm. and fresh mm. on your phone. <laughs> like you're like, "Yeah, this is awesome," and you're playing around with it, and you do, you know, doing. But then, like three, four hours later, it's no longer oh. fun. I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm on there for I four know. hours straight. I'm just saying, like after the fourth hour, yeah, it's almost like this cap, and they're like, "We're going to cap the fun on this now. You've got to pay for the full product or the full game or mm. whatever it is you're looking at." I'm like there's guitar things, like guitar apps on the on the web, like that as well. Like, yeah, we'll give you the first couple of songs for free. Then you've got to pay. You know what I mean? Like it's just so, they give you
0: enough to be just enough to, to get you, you hooked
1: in, mm. and then it becomes fun, and then you get stressed.
0: Well, you do, you know, and like for like, me, that's yeah, the the, I, I the highlight have, for you. Yeah. Like that's that's what's highlighted, and I'm like, something's changed, and you're a bit, yeah, a bit off the planet. Yeah, like that goes back to what I was saying though. Rather than beat yourself up about yeah. it, it's really helpful to recognise that that's exactly how it's been designed to do.
1: Totally. That. Yeah.
0: So I think some of the the strategies that I use. What I like about them is that you can tap into them at any sort of time, that you feel that sense of frustration or that sense of becoming a little bit too addicted to things. So at the end of last year, I removed my email accounts from my phone and up until very recently hadn't reinstalled it. And I'm still toing and fro I will delete it from my phone for a little while, reinstall it if I need to. And I really enjoy that freedom. I like that when I sit down, open my laptop In order to answer emails, I'm there with with time and energy and attention to do it. What I found was when it's on my phone, I will read it, but very rarely do I act on it. Very rarely will I respond to it. So it kind of like is a a double dipping of my time and energy. If I'm reading it, kind of thinking about it in the back of my head, but not doing anything with it, that's really procrastinating on taking action on whatever it is that, that I'm required to. So that's something that's helped. Uh, similarly, I think I spoke about this at the beginning of the season, uh, I've deleted Instagram and I do reinstall it on a Thursday morning and a Friday morning. Mm. I post usually mm-hmm. on a Thursday and a Friday. That's been awesome. My screen usage has been down a lot since I did that.
1: You encouraged me to delete Instagram back in December.
0: Mm-hmm. And you haven't reinstalled it. Have it's not you? on my phone anymore. You don't have to post regularly no, or you don't you don't choose I just to go, post
1: regularly you know go on the web to look at it
0: yeah I, which is I, great
1: like you know because like, that was one of the major scrolling mindless things social media
0: um, what i found i don't know if you found the same thing it sort of breaks the habit because you get that muscle memory of flicking your thumb over to that screen tapping that up before you've even realized I'm, i would get on to my phone to do a specific thing and then I realize that I'm on Instagram or I realize that I'm reading a news, news headline or I realize that I'm doing the th- not the thing that I got on to do. So trying to break that habit by removing the app, blocking the app, uh, using one of those tools that you already spoke about, mm. it breaks that habit and allows you just a sense of self-awareness. And then you start to recognize when you fall into those same patterns. And, and for me, that's where change happens. It's not from the actual deleting. It's from what you learn about yourself yeah. and your triggers that sort of instigates change.
1: Absolutely. Here's a big one. It's a question we've always, we're always asked, and it's a, it adds another element to connect tech. Kids and technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, they're, they're kid encu- tech. Kid tech. They're encouraged to bring devices into schools now. They
0: are. Yeah,
1: like their own devices, they're encourage them to bring in, and it's just part of their learning pathways now. It's built into every subject. Mm-hmm. Going back to the tool, technology as a tool, I feel like the blurred lines in the education system at the moment is huge with this,
0: and it's tough. And I get, I get it because we don't want our kids left behind. That, like, I think that's that's the reason that that it's become so prevalent in classrooms, uh, public and private school classrooms. So I, I understand the reasoning behind it. So do I. But I'm not convinced that it's necessary, particularly for primary school kids, mm. you know, and I, I have a complicated relationship with this too because I don't want our kids to be at a disadvantage. Yeah, if, left
1: behind, yeah. Sure, but I yeah. actually
0: don't think they would be. If our yeah. kids were completely without access to technology for the first 10 years of their lives, I, which they're not, mm. I believe that kids are able to learn much more quickly than we give them credit for. So let's say they spend the first four or five years of school without any technology, learning handwriting, you know, physical sensory play, all of that sort of stuff, and then we introduce tech after that. I don't think that five years down the track you could tell the difference mm. between the kids who started at 10 and the kids who started at 1.
1: And I think there's a lot of... The issue at the moment is there's a lot of Australia, particularly education system, trying to play catch-up with international um, education environment. And, And, I mean, I work with a recruitment company and I've had conversations and, and on job descriptions in the past, like when we were growing up, you know, you didn't really need to know and understand technology unless you worked in IT.
0: That's right.
1: Now those skills are essential for almost every single role.
0: Hmm. But do you think they that kids White need to color, learn them? Blue
1: color. when do they learn them? Like when do you make that call like yes you now you're in year 7 you're, you you well, know I'm just saying like that's the biggest call I think and yeah. it, and it has huge ramifications.
0: Yeah. No, I I don't I don't have an answer here because our kids use technology but I'd be curious to know if there's you know a shift away <laughs> And interestingly enough, I know there has been a shift away, particularly in the States, in schools where Silicon Valley executives and Mm -hmm. uh, developers and... Children go. So their kids go to these very exclusive private schools, Mm -hmm. which are completely tech-free. So I don't know. I just feel like there's something there. Have we
1: gone too far already? I don't know. Are we trying to unpick it?
0: Maybe, you know, and it'll be interesting to see whether that is a trend that continues, you know, but... Perhaps people who work in some roles in Silicon Valley are aware of things that us plebs aren't. <laughs> you yeah, know?
1: exactly. Like, yeah, the addiction of technology. Steve Jobs
0: didn't let his kids use the, an iPad. Yeah, Bill Gates wouldn't let his girls have phones until they were like fifteen, and that was yeah. only because it was a that was a do or die thing for them. He's, he said he wished it could have waited.
1: So it's important to be a role model. Yes, is, what, is that what you're saying? No, yeah.
0: that was not what I was saying, but that's what I was getting yeah. to. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is.
0: It's so, I, I mean, I I share all of that just so I'm being clear that I don't have all the answers and I kind of wish I did, but I don't. I think where we've landed with our kids is in a place that requires...
1: It's reasonably healthy. Both of us to be yeah. reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, all yeah. parties to be reasonable. Yeah. They
0: both have iPads yeah. and they've both... We haven't bought them for them. They have saved their own birthday and Christmas money... Over many years. Yeah, to buy their iPads. Yeah. So. I I admire that, you know, I admire that that's what they wanted to do and they look after them as a result and it's not all bad. That's the big thing,
1: like they actually look after them.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah. so, So going back to boundaries, we've sat down with the kids and spoken about what we feel are reasonable boundaries around their tech use and for their iPads particularly, that is no iPad time from Monday to Thursday and then they get an hour a day Friday through Sunday. Yep. And that typically sticks most of the time. And I feel like they're getting to an age now at 9-11 where they're actually starting to monitor their behaviours. Well, I mean, our son said to me the other day, he said, I'm going to use my hour in the morning because if I do it in the afternoon, he said, I get in a bad mood. Oh,
1: wow. Did you say that?
0: Yeah. I don't know. That feels like progress. So my philosophy with any decisions for the kids has always been give them boundaries within which they're free to make their own choices And I think that that's that's an example of that. You've got an hour today. When are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend it? Because you know when it's over, it's over. And it's been interesting to watch them figure out what works best for them. And then also try and push back, of course, and we talk about what compromise is through the lens of that as well. But on the whole, that's the way we're dealing with their iPad use. Mm. They do watch a little bit of TV during the week, but not much. They've got activities two or three afternoons a week. So, yep. you know, they that, really don't have a lot of time, the, Yeah, And which yeah. is great.
1: <laughs> they, what I really enjoy is if they watch TV during the week, it's often like before bed and they read then, which I really
0: they do. And we'll, we really do that together. Yeah. So we yeah, watch exactly. Operation Ouch or Mythbusters or something like something
1: that. Something semi-educational.
0: Yeah, and I quite like that as a ritual yeah. and then they go off to bed and read.
1: It is balanced. And so overall, are you in a good place with your relationship with technology?
0: Um, on the whole, yes, I think so. Some days more than others. But what I, I have discovered this year is that crowding out rather than giving myself hard and fast rules around my tech use, it seems to help me better manage the way that I'm, I'm living with it. And so by crowding out, I mean having other things to do, non-tech things, having quite a structured work week, having a to-do list that's very clear on what needs to be done, all of those things act to crowd out the opportunity that I've got for mindless tech. I find that my screen use has dropped off dramatically since the kids have gone back to school and I've gone back to kind of my normal working rhythm or my new working rhythm. So I think that's really mm. the, the biggest learning mm. for me is not to say tech is bad or scrolling through Instagram for 10 minutes is bad and beating myself up over it. It's just not giving myself too many opportunities to do that. And that then kind of makes me feel more productive. And it also allows me to get the enjoyable benefits from connect tech, like sending a message to our friends in Canada, like, you know, looking at what people have been up to, checking in with people who are making cool stuff and, you know, seeing what that process is. That's all part of connection tech and I have no problem with any of that providing it's for a small period of time and then I go off and put that tool down and do something else.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I think that that will end up being just a muscle building process, you mm. know, that, that becomes my new normal mm. and to the point where excessive scrolling no longer even feels attractive. It no longer even feels like something I wish I had time to do. Mm. And I don't even feel like that now. So I feel like that shift to a new normal is hopefully
1: on its way. What I what I don't want to happen is see Connect Tech as like the carrot or the reward at the end of the day. That's though. right. That's, that will be because that will then breeds addiction. Do you know what I Maybe, mean? Like it's yeah. that addictive, like it's like you're just working for that screen time. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I do. So the, I'm just talking about my, me and my behaviour. I've got to be really careful with that is not reward myself with more technology.
0: Yeah. Reward
1: myself in other ways. Yeah, Yeah. okay.
0: And that's, I guess, where crowding out can can help. What's something else you really enjoy doing? You love playing guitar. Yeah. And you don't feel like you have enough time to do that. So instead, when you feel that urge to pick up your phone and see what's been happening instead you pick up your guitar and and play for 15 minutes and then you might only have five for Instagram scrolling and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that was, uh, that was connect tech.
0: (laughs) I love that you've coined a new phrase.
1: Anti-mindless connect tech. Mm. That's where it's at. So the second half of this conversation, you're going to catch up with
0: Sarah. I am. So you may recall that I had a really lovely chat with her actually back in season four. I found Sarah to be very accomplished and very intentional with the way that she was living, almost to the point where I didn't know if I could offer her anything. And I know talking to Carl, who, Carl Honoré, who was the, you know, the second Expert. guest in Sarah's, yeah, yeah. Sarah's episode, he felt much the same. So it was kind of cool to come back to Sarah and let her know that exact thing, but also to see what our conversation shook loose in her. But it's really lovely, actually, because she has spent a lot of time exploring awe and sort of looking at, at how the outward actions of slow living has shifted in her life in the last few months. So I really hope you enjoy catching up with Sarah, because I know I did. And it's a, yeah, it's a lovely chat.
1: Head over to slowyourhome.com slash season five for the show notes uh, to this episode and for all season five episodes. Enjoy the chat with Sarah.
2: Sarah, hello. How are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm great. Thank you. It is so nice to speak with you again. Yeah, and it was um, really interesting listening to the podcast um, interview with me um, the other day and what Carl had to say as well. And um, I've had really interesting feedback from um, local people too and my family members and who were all really excited to hear the podcast and then Some friends of mine in the local community who are my age and older um, have said to me how they felt that I represented our sort of 60 plus age group um, in such a vibrant sort of way. And they really they felt positive about that message getting out there to your audience that when we're at that stage of our lives, we're still dynamic and Um, have a lot to offer and we're not just resting and uh, we're not wanting to be involved in society.
0: I really appreciated the conversation that you and I had and I know that I said, I think it was in the the intro, that I was intimidated by, the not not by you as a person because you're delightful, um, but just by how intentional you were and I thought that your friends are, are absolutely right. I mean it was a really important conversation I think to have about the pressures that you feel as someone who is you know, in that 60-plus age group who still is so enthusiastic and so involved and engaged in all aspects of community and your life. And I thought it was really wonderful uh, to see, as you and I kind of spoke about before we hit record, the learning and the progression and the, the self-improvement doesn't ever really stop. You know, I think it's a lifelong thing. And I think that that's wonderful.
2: I was mindful of something Carl wrote about in in, um, the book as well was about, he talked about the new 60 or like, you know, 30s, the new 20 or those sort of concepts, 80s, the new 60. Well, and how that's not really the way we should be looking at it. It's if people who are at these different stages of life are visible out there in the community People get to see, younger people see, actually, that's what it's like to be that age now. It's not like what it was when our grandparents were 60. Or, like, my parents are still active people in their community and they still travel and they're involved in other people's lives and they still help younger family members and they're in their mid 80s. So, it's about Us being visible and young people seeing, well, 60, 80, it's not actually that old these days.
0: Exactly. And I think that understanding that causes us to make different choices when we're younger, you know, to understand that life doesn't end at 50 or life doesn't end at 75 or whatever it is that we have as the line in the sand, you know. I thought it was interesting to have Lauren, who is – I discussed slow living in your mid-20s and then yourself the next week because I think Lauren was a perfect example of someone who was very intentionally building the kind of life she wanted. And I think that as aging is, it's not this thing to be feared like I think we've been taught for many years. Uh, It allows you to make more broad-minded experimental choices almost, if that makes sense. You know, you're able to say, well, let's just see what happens. Um, or let's try this and see if it's a good fit. Or I think that otherwise you perhaps get stuck on this ladder. You know, you climb and you climb and you, you you're on this path, and it, it sort of feels too late to change it once you realise where you are. Um, and so I think that you're absolutely right, and that what you've you've done by having the conversations with me has been phenomenal. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry about the barking in the background. Someone's come to my door, so my dog's down there barking. That's okay. (laughs) My dogs do it all the time. Um, And, yeah, this morning actually my daughter rang, who I've mentioned in the last podcast, she's 26, and um, she'd listened to the interview with Lauren the week before as well. And, um, yeah, she said to me, oh, Mum, it was really interesting hearing both like Lauren and then you and how she said, I haven't really thought about my, like my stage in life yet, but she found it inspiring to um, think that she has a long life ahead of her to do things. And it doesn't have to be a rush to try and be doing everything in your twenties. Exactly.
0: You know, slow living as a lens through which to view all of life rather than just the moment, you know, and I think that that's a really cool way of viewing it too. I'm curious to know, after our conversation and after you listened to the episode with Carl, have you made any changes or shifts in the way you're living? Yes.
2: I I had an opportunity when after our conversation um, I went to Italy um, not long after we spoke and spent three weeks walking through Umbria. So I had that opportunity away from social media, away from my work commitments away from everything I'm normally involved in and just walking through a country, stopping every night at a different village. Um, hardly anybody spoke English. There weren't tourists around. And just experiencing that um, culture gave me time to reflect as well. Uh, something that that struck me that Carl said in the podcast was about focusing on what slow living means to me not necessarily what all of the books, the podcasts, the people you interview, what it is to other people, but just take stock of what it means to me. And in my reflections on that, I've thought back through the years and thought, well, actually, there are concepts from slow living that I've applied my whole life. And I I grew up in a family where we, my mother did do things from scratch. She was doing the household tasks as we grew up and um. She sewed our clothes, taught me how to sew. I was knitting from when I was about seven years old. So I've created clothing myself from a young age and I used to make all my own clothes when I was younger and grow vegetables, cook food from scratch, all those sorts of things. So my, I suppose, adoption of slow concepts has changed over the years to where I've grown vegetables and had fruit and nut trees in the garden and then at this stage where I live there's a farmer's market so I made a deliberate decision in moving to the coast not to grow my own produce but to support the people who are making a living um, out of doing that so I buy local produce um, at the farmer's market and at a grocery store that sells local produce rather than Um, growing it myself now because that provides me time to do other things and we have access to sustainable fashion now that's produced ethically and um, so I tend to buy those items but I'll mend things so I use my sewing machine still to to extend the life of garments or alter them but I tend to make deliberate choices about what I'll I'll purchase so it, it is an evolving. It is, you know, and there's many different ways
0: to do it and I think that that's a really important thing for everyone to understand. Uh, as you said, you know, growing your own fruit and vegetables, making everything from scratch, making your own clothes, that's often what people think of, I think, when they think slow or they think sustainable living and that's a really valid way of doing it. But there's also... The other end of the spectrum, where you support people who are making a living creating those things, and that's also slow and sustainable and valid, you know. And I think that everywhere in between, and a combination of all those different approaches, it's important to understand that that's an option. You know, we don't need to be this like poster child for making everything yourself.
2: I'm also conscious of spreading um, income around in the community. So where I mentioned the sort of work I'm still doing, um, on a contract basis and a casual basis basis that's the easiest way for me to generate um, income because it pays well it's something I can do and so when I am doing quite a bit of that sort of work I will get a local person to come in and clean my house for me so I'm passing on the income that I'm receiving to someone else for the sort of thing they do to earn an income And I I think that's important as well in um, sharing wealth in the community, utilising other people's skills to free oneself up to do the things that we do better. Exactly. And I think
0: that's a really practical example of how If we're mindful of um, the community we live in, the kind of life that we're building, we can raise everyone up in our community, you know, by being mindful with where our money goes, by being mindful of which small businesses we support and which service providers we support. And I think that's, again, another really important way of looking at creating like a a legacy of slow living that goes beyond our own home, you know, and beyond our own ego. And it becomes a much more all-encompassing kind of way of living. Um, Now, I'm curious, actually, you mentioned your work and we had an interesting chat about your values, first of all, and how the value of service was really central to the way you've always lived as an adult and the work that you've done, the way you show up for people. But as you were kind of shifting the balance and wanting to do more things that fulfill you in other ways, there was sort of a, a conflict of guilt um, in trying to step back from some of that, but also a happy obligation in, in service to that value. Where are you at now with that? Have you developed any ways of thinking about it differently or um, sort of managing that, that juggle?
2: It helped me um, by both you and Carl suggesting that I can only be of service to people if I'm actually looking after myself um, and being using those values directed at myself like Being kind to myself and compassionate to myself. So, since I've been back from Italy, I've been trying to do something like watch a movie on TV and actually just sit down and watch a movie and not be jumping up and down, pausing it and doing other jobs while I'm doing it. So, just to concentrate on doing something relaxing to replenish myself and not feeling guilty for that. So, I've been working on that and I can do it, but I, I mean, those those ideas still come into my mind about what else I could be doing. But I'm trying that, and then the annual sort of audit of explaining what I tilt into when I need to, and then and that was really useful. When I look back on the last 12 months, I couldn't believe what I've actually fitted in. Like I thought, oh my god, I've done all this travel. Something I didn't um, mention last time is I play bridge, um, which is a card game that's quite complicated. And there are bridge competitions. So this is something I got involved in when I moved to the coast and retired and I thought a good way to meet local people could be to join the bridge club. And I just had beginner lessons, so I was very, very uh, new to it. And since then I've learned a lot. And so now I go away and play in bridge competitions with Um, other members from our local club I also uh, go on holidays so I've done a lot of travel I've actually worked on quite a lot of jobs I've worked um, in the local community and I probably haven't had enough time over the 12 months tilting into relaxing myself at home and that's a goal in the next 12 months, I think. Uh,
0: I think it's a really powerful tool to have in your back pocket on those days where it's easy to berate ourselves, you know, where we feel like we're living just so out of balance and everything's off kilter. And, you know, I've lost sight of my, my, my values. And it could be that that's coming from a place of truth, but so often, I find in my life that 's just a bad day, you know, and if you 're able to pull back and look at that twelve months audit like you say, audit that the previous twelve months and look at it through the various lenses of your values. How do I genuinely feel about that rather than how do I feel in this highly emotional state that I'm in in this bad day? I think it's it's really powerful. I'm so glad that that was helpful to you but also in recognising that maybe there is a bit of a disconnect between the other values that you're showing up for and the, the things that are important and then that
2: downtime for yourself. Like going to play bridge with my bridge colleagues and my bridge partner who I play with twice a week as while it's an intense intellectual concentration time, um, it is also time away from other things and it's something I'm choosing to do. So that that's a, actually is a leisure activity that's built into my um Life, But it was quite intense, I think, because I was learning so much that it was a um, a real, a steep learning curve to be concentrating on learning. And I think learning new things does have that impact, doesn't it? Like it can be,
0: it, it can feel like it's taking up perhaps more real estate in our brain and in our lives than if you looked at it on a calendar, because it's new, you know, and that takes up a huge amount of brain space and brain power. And then as a result emotional and, and, you know, uh, emotional kind of space as well. So, uh, but I, I like that you're able to, to maybe put that in the column of leisure as well as connection and community and, um, you know, showing up in, in different ways. Are there any changes aside from the, the downtime shift that you want, want to make over the next 12 months, any other changes or shifts that you have in mind as a, a goal or something to experiment with?
2: Um, Yeah, like actually being in the moment. So when I'm, I walk on the beach every day, but I often am on the telephone. So I'm walking along the beach and multitasking by having a phone conversation at the same time, which means I don't need to have that phone conversation at another time. I think it would be a good practice for me to actually be in the moment and walk on the beach. It's only an hour um, and actually not be on my phone, put my phone on silent. And I don't plan to make a call myself at that time. I could be in the moment rather than multitasking.
0: Yeah. I wonder if you could experiment with that for a week or a month and just see how you feel, you know, whether or not it makes an impact on your enjoyment and also the way you're able to notice Things on the walk because I know for myself if I'm walking listening to a podcast or if I'm walking on the phone I'm not actually taking in the surroundings you know something beautiful could happen and I might sort of notice it in in passing but I I'm not able to immerse myself in it so it'll be really interesting to see what what that's like for you as well yes
2: yes because there are such beautiful things at the beach like the other day there were seven black cockatoos oh. just flew Ooh. along together. Um, from because there's bush along the beach, so it's a it's a national park. So they were flying from tree to tree, just all together, and it was just beautiful. And there are whales and dolphins to watch. So there's a lot of interesting things to be watching in nature rather than being on the telephone. Yeah, and then I think the flow on impact
0: of that is worth sort of paying attention to as well. You know, the research into awe, what happens mm. to us as an individual when we experience awe, is quite phenomenal. I mean, it impacts the way that we operate in our communities. We're more generous and altruistic and compassionate just from being in that emotion of awe for maybe 30 seconds or, or a minute uh, at a time. So, you know, that is also perhaps another way of looking at filling that cup, I guess, of service. You know, you're able to then turn around and, and be of service in a, in a really present sort of way. When you've experienced that ore for yourself.
2: Yes. And actually, during um, that the ore experiment, um, and I was walking with a girlfriend, um, to the, we walked to, this is before I went to Italy. And so I was doing a lot of longer walks and we walked to the beach and then along the beach. And I was talking to her about the ore experiment. And she said, We don't even have to go somewhere special to be in ore. Look, there's two cockatoos there in that banksia tree, like they were the black cockatoos again, and we look, w- looked out to the ocean, there's a whale breaching, like, yeah, there's all things to um be in awe of all around us in our daily life if we notice them. There is,
0: exactly, and that's, you know, the art of noticing. It's so powerful, and I think once we switch that, once we flip that switch, it's so powerful that it's hard to unflip it you know it's hard to to forget all the amazing things that that are surrounding us uh and it's it's like the flow and effects are just a bonus because we get to experience that or anyway
2: yes yes like the little um that miniature flannel flower that you took a photo of Yeah, that, so it's beautiful and it's just there in everyday life exactly and i would have walked past it uh, you know a hundred times
0: probably and never noticed it it was it was that decision to, you know, to stop and pay attention. Um, yeah, that was a, my daughter and I were having a competition on a bushwalk to see who could find the tiniest flower. So that's how that one came about.
2: Um, in Italy, something that was just fabulous along the side of the paths and the roads is the oregano, sage, lemon balm. They're just like lush and growing like weeds on the side of the road. It's incredible. That's amazing. See, and even just noticing that is a gift. It was, I oh, know, I said to my husband, "Look, all these herbs are there and you can smell them as you walk on them." And um, he said, "Is that really? It just looks like weeds." So I picked one and rubbed it in my fingers so he could smell that pungent smell. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Uh Sarah, thank you so much. It was be- it's been wonderful to catch up with you and to hear about your adventures but also to hear about the shifts that you're making um I'm really excited for you for particularly for the the change that you spoke about in terms of allowing yourself to relax a little more and allowing yourself to simply just relax rather than trying to multitask watching a movie or multitask those walks on the beach um and I think that I mean it's my hope that that will unlock that next level of awe and and connection and and everything beautiful that comes with it.
2: Thank you, Brooke. It's it's lovely to speak with you. Always lovely to speak with you, Sarah. Thank you. Who is that? Hi, Pass.